do you remember when we used to have talent shows? Like, I haven't heard, I mean, there's, there's a few, like, America's Got Talent, or Helena's Got, whatever, Missoula's Got Talent, but we used to do them, like, in church when I was a kid growing up. Our church used to have one, like, every year, every other year, something like that, or, or the bank in Helena always used to have, like, a Helena's, you know, high school talent show, and, and we always used to do them at camp, too. It was, like, just a staple of life as talent shows, and, and talent shows are great if you have talent, you know, especially a talent that you can show off, right? Like, if you can sing, that's great. But, but growing up, that wasn't me. I couldn't sing. They would, they would take the mic from when I was singing in church or when I was playing bass in church. They would take the mic and they just unplug it. Now, it was, it was done. Yeah, they, they unplugged it so they couldn't hear it. It was, it was done out of love and compassion. <laughs> love and compassion for the people of the church. As I made that joyful noise. But uh, the only instrument I played back then was a bass. And a bass is a, is a fun instrument to play. It's essential in a band, but, but it's not one that you like take to a talent show and you're like, watch me play my bass. It just doesn't work that way. So I wasn't in a band and I, I, I didn't have a talent to show off. So I usually kind of skipped that, that talent show. My, I wasn't talent show material. I didn't dance. I didn't have a stand-up comedy routine. Uh, you know, I didn't do like magic or anything like that. So, so for the most part, I skipped the talent shows, except except at camp. Because when I went to camp, you were kind of required to do talent. It was, it was everybody did something. And, and being as a guy that, that didn't have a lot of like demonstrable talent, uh, you know, doing math for people probably wasn't really going to, going to, going to do it. So uh, I resorted really to the only parlor trick that I knew, turning my face purple. It's as underwhelming as it sounds, trust me. But, but I figured out that if I, if I held my breath and I, like, I, I put my head like, down towards my knees, my face, if I, if I strained really hard, would turn like this magenta purplish. It's probably getting red right now as I talk about it. But um, all the blood would rush towards my head. And, and like I said, it was, it was rather underwhelming. But it would elicit gasps of awe from, from the high school set, and so as a sophomore in high school, it was kind of my go-to talent that I had. I, th- I think many of us feel like that sophomore version of me felt. Don't really have much talent. We don't have much skill. And many of us feel as though we don't really have anything to contribute to the church or, or even society. And, and this is simply untrue. And how do I know? Because God's word tells us that this is untrue. And so this morning, I'm going to deviate from Malachi. For those of you that have been here for the last few months, I've, I've been going through Malachi as I get the opportunity. And instead of finishing up Malachi right now, and we'll, we'll get there, uh, I wanted to discuss a parable that Jesus taught with. Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30, is the parable of the talents. Now, a parable is this earthly story that has a heavenly meaning. We can take a parable and we can draw heavenly principles from the stories that are told, from the stories that Jesus tells, we can draw heavenly principles. And so in Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus is teaching the disciples about the end times. He's getting ready to leave himself and and he's telling them about the end times and what is going to happen and, and how we need to conduct ourselves really as believers as it comes. Now because we're limited in our ability to understand the infinite God, because God's plan, because God's ways are so much higher than we could ever comprehend, he speaks to us in parables, and he gives us stories. 
And he makes it so that when he teaches, we can understand principles that are important through these parables, both important for the end times, but also then for today. And in the parable of the talents, Jesus is making the point that believers need to faithfully serve God with the things that he has entrusted to us until he returns. And as he tells the, this parable, there's, there's a lot that we can learn. There's, there's so much that we can learn that I wanted to spend this morning talking about all the observations or, or many of the observations that we can make from this. So if you haven't already, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. Sorry, Matthew chapter 25. Just seeing if anyone was paying attention. Matthew 25, starting at verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and trusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who received five bags of gold brought him the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been entrusted with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man who had received one bag of gold came, Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out, and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, you would have received it back with interest. So I would receive it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and who, <clears throat> whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw out that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So maybe you noticed, maybe, maybe not, but the word talent is not actually found in our entire parable of the talents. Modern translations have actually taken the word talent out of the Bible uh, because the definition of the word has changed so drastically that it no longer means in our minds what the authors meant it to mean. In ancient times, a talent was a unit of measurement, a unit of weight, about 75 pounds worth if you're curious. The term, again, back in ancient times, began to get regularly used for a sum of gold or silver. So, so it went from just having a weight value to a monetary value. It's difficult for us, really, to draw like an accurate comparison of how much a talent is worth. Because if you take like 75 pounds of silver and you do all the math and you figure it out with the, the silver prices today, it, it doesn't really give you that same figure as how much it was worth back then. So, But by a ballpark figure, the best way we can estimate things is how many days wages it took. A talent was typically worth 15 to 20 years 
of labor for a common laborer. So that's a lot of money, right? Think of how much you make in 15 to 20 years. That's one talent. Now, interestingly to me, the modern definition for the word talent, which, which now means basically like a skill or ability that we have, that definition came from a misuse of how the, the Christians in the 14th through 17th century Europe were using the word talent. So, so they'd hear this parable of the talents, and they would use the word talent incorrectly, and they used it incorrectly so much that the word definition changed and because they changed the word definition and it no longer means what it meant to mean, we had to change the word in our Bible so that we understood correctly because we had the wrong definition in our heads. That's why the word talent does not appear if you were interested. Um, a parable can be challenging to draw truth from. Not, not in the sense that we, we can't see what is there, but, but what happens sometimes in a parable is that because it's a story drawn with a, or a story told with a deeper truth, sometimes we extrapolate more truth out than is really there. Sometimes we, we try to see more truth than is really in the parable. For instance, we can't take this parable and, and use it to say that God is trying to give us his wealth. Jesus is not saying that God's most faithful servants will receive a hundred years' wages as reward for our service. That's not at all what it's saying, but, but if you extrapolate out the parable, sometimes people will say something like that. It's drawing too much, though, from the story. Instead, we must ask ourselves, what is the main point? What is the main point that Jesus is using or trying to make? And then from there, we seek to understand what the different characters represent. In our parable this morning, the master, who is God, specifically Jesus, is going to tell his disciples that he's leaving the earth, but he's entrusting his servants to put something to work until he returns. The servants in the parable are the disciples, really any Christians, any of us who call God, who call Jesus our Lord, any of his disciples, and the talents are the things that God is entrusting us with. Now here's the problem. Because we've changed that word talent so much in our, in our minds, we just think of our skills and ability. So I say, you know, you have talents, and we think, I have skills and ability. But, but really, the talents, the things that God is entrusting us with is not just our skills and abilities, but it could be physical things as well. It is those skills and abilities, but it could be physical things like our homes, or our cars, or our finances, or our time. Anything that God has given to us is something that we can put to use and something that he's calling us to put to use for his kingdom. Uh, certainly our knowledge of him is something that he's entrusted us with to put to use as well. So there are four observations I want to make this morning uh, from this parable. And the first of these is that the master entrusts all of his servants with something. Each of the servants that Jesus speaks about is entrusted with something from the master. There's not this fourth servant in the parable where, where Jesus says, or the master says, you know what, you're not worth anything. You don't get anything. Even the, the one who was lazy and wicked got something. This is important because it means that God has given to each of his children talents to be put into service. God has given to each of his children. The Apostle Paul says that, that there are, we are all different parts of the same body. That as Christians, we're all parts of the same body. There's no believer in this church today who is an exception to this rule. 
We are all given something to serve God with, and we all have a function in the body. As servants, the parable tells us that we are entrusted with the things of God according to our ability. Everyone receives something. We are all entrusted with something, and that varies from person to person as God sees fit. God sees what is needed to accomplish his will, to accomplish the tasks that he has for us, and he, that's what he gives to us. He makes sure that we have it. Everything that the servants of the parable have are his masters. And I think that's a really important thing to note. It's, it's not that God is giving them something, but God is entrusting, the master is entrusting to them something that is his to be put to use. They are not gifts, in other words, that the servants get to go and do what they want with. They are property of the master, and he expects to receive them back when he returns. We are stewards of the things that God has entrusted us with not the owner. So how are you stewarding the talents that God has entrusted to you? God has entrusted you with something. Maybe it's your influence. Maybe it's your time. Maybe it's your knowledge. Maybe it's your intellect or your car or your house or, or skills that you have. Are you putting those to work for the kingdom of God? The servant who put the talents to work that God had entrusted them with were called good and faithful. And so this is our second observation. Jesus notes that the servant who received five talents and the one who received two immediately went and put to work the things that the master entrusted them with. At once is what the NIV says. They set out to to bring a good yield to their masters, um, a good yield for their master because he had put in trust in them. What they did with the money, you know, how they earned or how they doubled their allotment, we don't know, and that's probably good because I think what would happen is if we figured out how to double our allotment, double our yield of, of some talent, we'd, we'd get this like, get-rich-quick scheme throughout you know, this parable of the talent, and, and suddenly there'd be all these books about you know, the parable of the talent, you know, how it makes you money, and that's not what it's here for. What we know and what it's important is that they set out to do something productive with what had been entrusted to them, and as a result of their hard efforts, they were commended. Now, to be commended by the master is a wonderful thing. I know there are many people here who long to hear the words of this parable, well done, my good and faithful servant. We long to be affirmed, even by our bosses here on earth, even by our our spouses or our parents, we long to be affirmed. For six years, I've, I've wanted to hear those words as I crossed the line of a marathon. You have qualified for the Boston Marathon. I, lo- I desire to hear that. I'm yet to hear that, but I still, I, it's, it's one, I, I want that affirmation. I want to know that I've worked hard enough, that all of my efforts have been put forth, and, and I've persevered, and I've run well. And I don't believe this is bad. I don't believe it's bad for us to um, get to receive um, commendation or affirmation or validation for what we've done. But, but what happens is if we allow the praise to become the focus of our service, if we allow the, the affirmation and the, to become the, the, the reason we're doing something, we stray into sinful territory. If I serve God or, or if I do something in the church because I, I want someone to notice and I want someone to say, you did a really good job, then I'm not doing it to glorify God. I'm doing it to glorify myself. That's called selfishness, Right? So, so if we stray into that, if we, if we seek out the praises of, of people, 
it becomes sinful. This is what the Pharisees were lambasted for in the, in, in the Gospels, right? They did things for the praises of men. They did things in front of people so that people would see how religious they were. The balance for the believer comes as we recognize that we are all stewards of the talents that God has given us and the things that God has entrusted us to. We're not the owner. We're simply the steward. To the owner, we must give an account for what we've done. The master of this, the estate and the, the parable invited the good servants to share in his happiness as a result of the work that they did. I just want you to take a moment and think about this. When Jesus returns or when we go to him, think about coming to him with the things that he has entrusted to you and saying, this is what I've done. And then for him to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And not only that, but then not only commending us for our wonderful service, but then to share his joy, his happiness with us. God invites you to, to share and, and to join him in the joy of seeing the results of the service that we do. You know, last week, if you were here, uh, Rich got up and he spoke about the gospel and, and, and witnessing and, and his 30-year effort to, uh, to preach the word to his father. And 30 years of sharing. And, and finally, last month, uh, Rich's dad was, was able, he was cognizant, he, he was there, he was able to receive the Lord. And, and Rich got to share in the joy of the efforts that he put forth. God allowed him to share in that. And God invites all of us, whether it's now or whether it's later, to share in his happiness and his joy for the service that we've done when we do it as good and faithful servants. The third observation that we can make from this passage is the servant who hid the talent that the master entrusted him with was called wicked and lazy. The man truly did not know his master, uh, for if he did, he would not have hidden the talent. He thought he knew something about who the master was. He thought he had an idea of who the master was, but he was wrong in his observations. From a distance, he saw the master as hard. He saw him as difficult. He feared the master. He, he feared him enough to not do anything with what had been entrusted to him. The man did not put forth enough effort to learn about his master. That was his first mistake. He didn't understand his master, who his master was, what his master was like. And in his laziness, because he was too lazy to learn about the master, he didn't know how to best serve him. The master, as the guy comes and he offers his, his feeble excuse, the master sees right through this and he calls him wicked and lazy. And so what did the guy do? I mean, none of us want to, to face God and hear him say, you wicked and lazy servant, right? I mean, none of us want to hear Jesus say to us, away from me, I never knew you. So what did the guy do to receive such condemnation? He took the talent that had been entrusted to him, and he did nothing with it. He buried it. He didn't even, as the master points out, put it into the bank to earn a few percentage points back on it. Fear was the motivator for this guy. It was a stronger motivator for this than, than any pleasure that he could have provided for the master. He, he was more afraid of what might happen if he failed. He was more afraid of what might happen if he didn't bring that 
talent back to his master, then, then what would happen if he succeeded? So he did nothing with it. He buried it. How often, how often do we act out of fear? You know, how often is failure, or, or more specifically, the desire not to fail, our main motivator? Have you ever not started something because you were afraid that you might fail? You ever not gone into a business or, or started a venture or, or done a project because you were afraid that, that if you got halfway into it, you might not be adequate and, and fail? And so instead of starting, you, or instead of starting and failing, you, you don't even try. Fear, worry, doubt, they all plague the people of our church, uh, any church. We can all struggle with paralysis in our service because we get caught up in hoping to not disappoint God and hoping to not fail God. There are times when we feel like failures because we don't feel like we have enough faith or we don't have enough skill or we don't have enough money to serve God in a manner that we think we should. So instead of trying and possibly failing, we bury our dreams or our plans and we waste the talent that God has for us. And 12 years ago, actually it's probably closer to 13, I, I had this dream. We were transitioning out of Helena and, and starting to ask the question of what's next. And I started having this dream of starting a coffee shop church here in Helena. Sorry, Missoula. I've done that like three times today and I don't know why. Um, so I had this idea of starting a coffee shop church here in Missoula down by the university. Now this was before Zootown was ever a thing. And I had this dream, but, but honestly, it was such a challenging, daunting thing, right? I mean, I had a family that I needed to take care of. We only had one child at the time, but still I had a family and a wife, and, and I didn't really know where to start. I didn't really know what to do. I didn't have any direction or guidance in it. It was just this dream that I had. So instead of pursuing it, instead of chasing after that, I, I simply ignored it uh, and, and took the pastoral position in our league. Now, was that God calling me to start a coffee shop church? You know, I honestly don't know. What I do know is that soon after I ignored that dream and I took the pastoral position in our Lee, Zootown Church started because someone else said yes. We cannot allow fear to dictate our service to the Lord. The last observation that, that we see or, or is that all servants will be called to give an account for the talents that they are entrusted with. Those who served well will be called before the master to settle those accounts. Those who did not serve well will be called before the master to settle their account. Everyone will one day die, or Jesus will come back and, and we'll be called to settle our accounts. Hebrews tells us that people are destined to die once, and after that face judgment. It also says that nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. For those of us who believe, Jesus will intercede on our behalf and we will not be judged for our sins. But Jesus makes it clear in this parable and elsewhere that we will be, given, will be called to give an account for how we handle the things that God has given to us that God has entrusted to us. 
This is not, again, a judgment of our souls. Rather, it's a reckoning of what we have been entrusted with. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Here's the deal, though. And I think this is important for us to understand. I don't believe that this reckoning has to do with our results. It's not, did we get the best results? We are not entrusted to get results. We are entrusted to be faithful to the master. God is asking us to shine his light. He's asking us to preach the truth. And the results of our faithfulness do not depend on us. It depends on God's sovereign plan in the hearts of other people. God would rather you try honestly and fail spectacularly than he would for you to do nothing. Failure is not missing the shot. And Michael Jordan missed, I don't know how many game-winning shots. And he's not a failure. Failure is not striking out. A failure is, is not preaching the gospel and getting laughed at. Failure is not trying. Uh, the Apostle Paul makes this point specifically in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 when, when he reminds believers that it wasn't him or it wasn't Apollos that they were following after. They weren't anything. Rather, the people were to follow the one who can save them, and that is God. God is the one who causes people to come to him. We are his laborers. So beyond, beyond what we've already discussed, what does this mean for you and I? You know, plainly stated, God has entrusted you with gifts and talents. He's entrusted you with skills and abilities and stuff, whether it's physical or whatever the case may be. God did not skip over you. He didn't skip over any of us when he fearfully and wonderfully knit us together in our mother's womb. He didn't look at you and say, this one, this one gets no talent, this one gets no skill, this one gets no ability, this one gets, gets a, a free pass and doesn't have to do anything. He's entrusted all of us with some resource to use for his purposes. And further, he's given us each a spiritual gift, spiritual gifts, multiple. It gifts are the supernatural abilities that are, are given exclusively to believers through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Every believer has spiritual gifts. We all have been given resources to utilize for the glory of the Lord. I believe it's important for us to focus on the, the talents, the, the gifts, the, the stuff that God has given to us instead of the things that God has not. I, I think it's incredibly important for us to, to not look at the things that we don't have and complain about not having those things instead of looking at the things that God has given to us. So I, I could take singing. You know, I mentioned earlier, I, I, singing's not really a strength of mine. And I could sit there and I could say, why doesn't the church ask me to sing special music? And I could be upset about it, right? Or, or I can look at the things that God has and not miss out on the strengths that God has given to me. You know, I can teach the Bible. I'm pretty good at the computer. I can speak in front of people without getting too embarrassed. I'm pretty good at, you know, computer, organizing the church, stuff like that. Those are the gifts, those are the abilities, those are the skills that God has given to me that is entrusted to me to use for his kingdom. If, if I'm pouting about not being asked to sing that special song at, you know, during communion time, uh, I'm going to miss out on the wonderful blessings that God has given to me and the wonderful things that God has entrusted to me. 
It's easier to make excuses for ourselves, though, isn't it? Isn't it easier just to say, well, I can't do that. I can't sing in the church, so I guess I can't really do anything. You know, or it's easier for us to say, you know what, I don't really feel like I'm great at this, so I can't really do that. I don't really feel like I'm great with third through fifth graders, so I don't know if I can really serve there. You know what, a little secret, sometimes you don't have to be great at something. Sometimes you just have to be faithful and willing. Sometimes you just have to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do it because I feel like God's saying you should do this. Instead of pouting about the things we don't have, instead of focusing on the talents or whatever that we haven't been given, let's look at the ones we have and put those to work in the kingdom. It's tough, honestly, to serve our Lord. It requires much of us. It, it, doesn't, it is not just something we just always fall into. But it's rewarding work, and it's worth it. Time spent in the kingdom of God, time spent serving God, is time well spent. And the finally, finally, I want to encourage us each to use what God has entrusted to us in faithful obedience. Be a good steward of the things that God has shared with you. Do not bury what you have because of fear or laziness or doubt, but rather allow God to use you. You know, there are a host of opportunities in our church available right now where you can get involved, where all of us can be involved. Like I said, we, we, we really need a, a teacher for the third through fifth grade class. You know, we have deacons and deaconesses that can use your help. Awana is looking for a Cubbies leader, looking for people to listen to the Bible, kids spout Bible verses off. We have the greeting team, the chair crew, uh, Brookdale Ministries, youth group, the worship team, the community outreach, all, all these are areas that we can use the talents, the things, the gifts, the resources God has given to us and get involved. You know, we have prison ministry that is always willing to use people. Uh, there's a need for computer-savvy people on our church tech team. And if none of those areas are where God has gifted you, if none of those things are really where, where you say, I have skill or whatever, um, come and talk to me about what God is placing on your heart. And let's, let's work it into a ministry. I mean, three years ago, we didn't have a prison ministry until Bob came and said, I really like to do prison ministry. Can we make this a part of the church? And we're like, go for it. It doesn't have to be something that we have already if God is placing it on your heart, come and talk to me. And, and maybe you don't even know where your gifts are at. Maybe you're just like, I don't know what talents I have. But I'd love to also sit down with you and talk to you about that as well. Because we can work through this. We can find this out. We can figure it out. The point is, it's just like in the parable. We have all been entrusted with something. We've all been given resources, gifts, abilities, time, talent, whatever it may be. And we've all because our master loves us, has asked us to put it into service to further his kingdom. And there's coming a day when he's going to come back and he's going to say, what have you done with the things that I've given to you? Let us hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Let's pray.